Welcome back to Working at Woodworking Podcast. My name is Roger Kugler. I've been a woodworker for over 50 years and trying to make a living at this for the past 20. I'm here to encourage you to help you to fulfill your own dreams of making an income from your woodworking. Last episode, we talked about financing your woodworking business. This week, we're going to actually not talk about business. Well, in, you know, the legal matters and finances and things like that. And we're going to actually talk about what to sell. Products, services, or ed. Let's say you have a passion for making wooden birdhouses. You've made tens, oh shoot, you've made hundreds of birdhouses. They are everywhere. And you have a little problem. Your wife says they have to go. Or maybe you want to start making some money with your woodworking hobby. But you're not exactly sure what to make or sell. Well, we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about what products you can make and sell and what services you can provide. And we'll even talk about things related to woodworking but not directly woodworking. Let's take a look at the birdhouses first. The products. You have a passion for birdhouses. You have the tools. You have the process nailed down. Sorry about that. You're all set. You know what to sell. You just don't know how to sell it. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. You've already got this figured out. So let's talk about if you have no idea what to sell. I think a real good place is to start exploring the area around you. Know thy market. Who are the butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers in your area? Who owns a CNC machine? Who has a laser cutter? Who builds high-end furniture? Who does a good job repairing furniture? Who are the custom home builders? The architects, the interior designers. You know, the high-end stuff. Go check out their websites. Then go talk to these folks yourself. Learn as much as you can about them. Don't be at all surprised. Once they get to know you, if they start asking you to do stuff for them. I had a young man send me an email this week. Introduced himself gave me a little bit of his background, and he had seen on my website that I had basically been begging off work. You know, it's right there on my website. I am just so busy right now. I'm not taking on new jobs. And he offered to maybe take some of those jobs that I couldn't get to. I'm wishing him all all the best. I, I really appreciate him uh, reaching out like that, and I hope that he he can make this this a go. So talk to these other people in in you know similar professions, similar lines of work. Woodworkers 
are not necessarily known for being the most chatty people. We generally work by ourselves, kind of a solitary creature, only truly happy in our natural element. But it really does help to get out of the shop sometimes and go out and meet other people and talk to other people. You'll be really surprised the opportunities that might just uh, pop up. And after kind of getting the lay of the land, you'll start forming ideas on things that you can do. You'll start to notice areas in the marketplace that are going unfulfilled. And by filling those needs, you should be able to to make a go of it. The other way that you can figure out what to do is to ask yourself, is there something you're passionate about? Clocks, wall clocks, grandfather's clocks, desk clocks, wrist watches made of wood. Is there some item that you just absolutely love making? Maybe it's turning bulls. Maybe making firearm concealment systems. Chopsticks? Conductors batons? It could be virtually anything. And if you have that passion for making these products, then you can turn that into a business by selling those products. Just make sure that what you want to make will sell. We, you might find yourself in the, uh, the guy with the, the thousands of birdhouses. He loves making them, but he doesn't like selling them, or they're simply not selling. That is a problem. We have to make things that people are willing to buy. Now, here's something, particularly for older woodworkers out there. You have a lot of life experience. You may be on your second, third, fourteenth career. So you have seen a lot. Is there anything in your previous careers that involved wood? Maybe a case, a product, something that you were exposed to that you used all the time. Maybe you could make that item. I'm not even going to conjecture what that might be, but you probably do. Just think back things that your company or you used that you have the capability of making. That could be a good idea of looking for a product. An example of this might be going on to Etsy. Etsy Etsy.com, huge online marketplace. There are a lot of veterans on there who are making these American flags out of pallet wood and scrap wood, and they're doing various surface techniques, incredibly beautiful products. There's others who are making, you know, like gun racks and cases and concealment systems. Just really, really interesting. Uh, one guy is making plaques you know, like unit plaques and insignia plaques, uh, coin racks, just all kinds of things that are associated with the military. And some of these guys are have become incredibly successful at doing that. So, so think about your own background and your own experiences, and you'll probably come up with two or three ideas. So let's move from talking about products into talking about services. Services are things like 
furniture repair. You're not actually making the furniture, which is the product, but you're repairing other people's products. Huge need for that right now. And this is something that you can do, you know, after work, after the kids go to bed, uh, early in the morning, on weekends. It's not incredibly, you know, time demanding. You don't have to have a lot of, you know, machinery and create a lot of noise, things like that. You know, customers kind of come and go. Um, and you can learn a lot about woodworking, particularly furniture making, by repairing other people's mistakes. If you have never done anything like this before, I would recommend start looking along the, the roadside. You'll see a chair set out for the trash, maybe a cabinet or something. Pick that up, figure out what's wrong with it, figure out how to fix it. That's where you get your start. Maybe you go to a flea market or a used furniture store and find something something that is truly ugly. Maybe the finish is totally gone from it. Refinish that piece. Make it into something nice. And then sell it. That will give you the confidence and a little bit of money. And you'll be building experience. Furniture refinishing kind of goes hand in hand. Finishes don't last forever, you know, despite what the advertisements say. You know, kitchen tables, they finish wears out on those and they need to be refinished. And I find the work incredibly satisfying that somebody brings an heirloom that was their great aunt's or their, their grandmother's or this piece came over on the Conestoga wagon type thing. And you're giving that piece new life. It may be a hundred years old. You can get it to last for another hundred years. Kitchen cabinet makeovers. The industry says that we replace our kitchen cabinets about every 14 years. With the amount of people buying and selling houses, I can kind of see that. But there's a lot of people who have been in their house for 30 years and they're just really, really tired of their kitchen cabinets, but they don't have that $35,000 for a total kitchen cabinet remodel. You can go in, you can fix what's broken, which is usually like doors and, and drawers and slides and things like that, and change the finish. I recently finished a, um, a job where the cabinets had a dark, like walnut stain over red oak. It looked good 25 years ago, but the homeowners are just tired of it. And honestly, the finish was pretty much gone. And I sanded everything down, did a clear coat over top of it, and it literally looks like a new kitchen. And they are incredibly pleased with that. You can re-veneer over kitchen cabinets. You can change doors on kitchen cabinets, change hardware, adjust the European style hinges so that the doors actually work. There, there's just all kinds of things that, that you can do that doesn't involve tens of thousands of dollars that is a market that is untouched in a lot of areas. So give that some uh, consideration.
You can also provide the service of what I call general woodworking, or you could even say custom woodworking, where the customer comes to you and asks you to do something. A customer may ask you to build a bookcase that fits exactly right here. It's not something that they can buy at a store. It's not something that they can order online. It needs to be custom built. And that's where you come in. Maybe someone wants a new exterior door in a craftsman style. You can build that. Someone emailed me a picture of a desk and said that they loved the the design, the color, everything, except it needed to be 18 inches longer. Could I build that? And so you, you, you start to get jobs like that where you're, you're kind of dealing one-on-one with a customer to satisfy their needs or their wants. Millwork. I've had contractors bring me a piece of molding and say, I need eight feet of this. For them to go to a millwork shop would be hundreds and hundreds of dollars because it was a, a, a custom molding to begin with. Those knives are no longer in existence. You'd have to do a custom knife and to run eight feet of this, it, it's just not, you know, cost effective. So for a couple hundred dollars, I can make that molding using various, you know, machine tools and hand tools, and it gets the job done for them, probably faster than what the the mill shop could do also. So custom woodworking is a really wide area. It can mean many different things, and you never know exactly what it's going to be. Uh, I have a gentleman who keeps bringing me bird feeders, that these things are worn out, and some of them have been in the family for, for generations, and we just repair the bird feeders and keep them going. You could also specialize, where you kind of pick an area that you're going to really concentrate in. Maybe you have a thing for the, you know, the 1950s and 60s wood-paneled automobiles, you know, the old woodies. There's actually a niche market for that, and that's something that you might be able to tap into. Maybe you've got a passion for boats. You could start building canoes or kayaks. I mean, there's just all kinds of things. I I know a gentleman who restores antique pump organs. You know, the ones with the little pedals that you pump up and down. Absolutely incredible. The technology and, (laughs) frankly, just the number of moving parts involved. So you can really specialize in, in something that not many people are doing. I mean, just even like piano. I mean, there's woodworking in, in piano. So you can figure that out. You can figure out, number one, you've got to be passionate about something. If you absolutely hate it, that's probably not going to work really long term. Okay, now let's talk about selling Ed. Well, not really ed that's like illegal but selling education and i'm using the term education just to kind of lump in several different categories that you could be doing writing 
You could write magazine articles. We've all read those articles. Somebody had to write them. It could be you. Or maybe you have a book in you. Maybe you've always dreamed of writing a book. This could be a good opportunity. Maybe you want to get into YouTube. We've all watched the videos. Some of them are really, really good. Some of them are not so good. How about a podcast? I've listened to dozens of them. Again, some of them are really, really good. Some of them, eh, not so good. Or perhaps you want to teach, like in front of people at a location. Maybe your local woodworking store, you know, offers classes, a community center in your, in your, in your town. Maybe you want to just do classes out of your own shop. It would be wise to check with your insurance company before doing that. But that's certainly very, very practical. If you have the space and the, the tools and the room, you know, for, for, for doing that. So when you are educating, you are a woodworker and an educator. It might even flip to the point that if you're doing more YouTube than you are woodworking for like customers or clients, then I guess you would be called a YouTuber who does woodworking or a woodworking YouTuber. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but you're combining two elements together. I, I had the great fortune of meeting Wayne Barton, uh, geez, probably 15, 18 years ago. Now, Wayne Barton, if you, if you don't know, is a, a master chip carver. You could almost call him the uh, American master chip carver. In fact, you could say that he is the person who introduced Swiss chip carving to America. Uh, his wife is Swiss, and they spend uh, quite a bit of time in, in Europe every year uh, visiting her family. He tells the story that, you know, the first couple times he was over there, he frankly got a little bored and started exploring, and he came across a guy who did chip carving. And his English wasn't so good, and Wayne's Swiss wasn't so good, but they managed to communicate, and the guy taught him chip carving. And he brought that home, started to do it himself, and built a business out of that. And he wrote uh, several books on chip carving, sells uh, a wonderful chip carving uh, knives and uh, a kit. You know, it comes with a, a sharpening stone, uh, a book, and, and two knives. And it has gotten thousands and thousands of people into chip carving. And one of the things that I asked him about making a living doing this is that he broke it down into three areas. He does chip carving for clients where they want a, like a, a wedding plate or some decorative, you know, picture frame or a wall hanging. And he makes that for them. He's producing a product. He also sells products, the blanks for like for plates and, and, you know, various, um, uh, wood items, and he sells his knives, and he sells his books. 
which is the, the third area. And he does education, you know, through his books and through the uh, in-person seminar that I uh, was attending. And that is how he makes his money. And I, I asked, I was very relatively young and naive. And I asked, I thought tactfully, is there real money in doing this? Can you make a living? And he just smiled and said, well, we put three daughters through college. And he smiled wearily and added that it also helps if your wife is a nurse. So there you go. Um, he was using you know, a, a three-pronged approach with both making the product, selling the product, and teaching the product. Okay, let's talk about some pluses and minuses of these three areas. Making products, you have to sell them. That could be online, that could be wholesale, which would probably be online. You can sell through art galleries, you can go to arts and craft shows, you could even sell out of the back of your truck at a flea market. It just kind of depends on the product that you're making and the best avenue. I'm going to give a real strong thumbs up to selling online with some type of an online store. Probably do a podcast on that. Kind of go deeper in depth in the future. One of the big pluses about this is you are in control. Everything is you. You do all the marketing, you do all the processing, you do all the building, and if things aren't selling, well, <laughs> that's on you too. That's really the big negative in this approach is you could have crickets. You could be making stuff that nobody's buying. And that simply means that you're going to have to do a, a market shift, a change, figure out what people want to buy, and then start making that. And not to give any illusions of, of easy street, this is a lot of work. Because not only are you a woodworker making stuff, but you are also a retailer selling stuff in a typical business model, you have a manufacturer who is making a product and then selling that at wholesale to a retailer who is selling it. The division of labor is distinctly separate. But here, it is you. You're doing everything. And that can be a lot of fun. I mean, if you have a little bit of a retail bent to you, that, that, that selling, you know, urge it can be incredibly satisfying. It can also be incredibly satisfying getting into the technology, using the various online platforms like Etsy and Amazon and things like that, figuring out the little nuances, you know, digging into the details. And at the same time, <laughs> it can also be quite exhausting. It is literally like having two jobs. One is a woodworker, the other is a, uh, as a retailer. Um, caveat here, if you are making a product and selling it, you need two different price structures. If it takes you $100 worth of materials to make a product, 
and you're selling it for $400. But you're traveling eight hours to a arts and crafts show, standing there for 10 hours a day, you need to be compensated for that. Because at that point, you are now a retailer. So what would you sell that product for at wholesale? And what would you, as a retailer, need to sell that product to cover your cost and make a profit? So just don't think that you're going to make a Twidget and sell for $25. One of the worst things that can happen is that you've been selling these Twidgets for $25, which you're perfectly happy at doing, selling these, going to craft shows, and just having a grand old time, and then somebody approaches you and say, I want to order 100 Twidgets. How much? Oh, they're not going to pay $25 when they're buying 100 of these things because they want to resell your Twidgets. And if you have made your retail price, your wholesale price, you're kind of in a quagmire there. Because you, if, if you, you know, say I'll sell them to you for, you know, 50% margin, which would be 1250, which is very common in, in, in retail, now you're losing money because you can't make them for 1250. And that's a real awkward situation. So anytime that you're producing a product, think about the wholesale retail side of it. Even if you have no desire to go either way, but an opportunity could come up where it could be a little awkward. So just kind of heads up. Think about that. So that $25 twidget that you've been selling at these craft shows Maybe you should be asking 35 or 40 or even $50 for them to leave that margin for the wholesale opportunity and to pay yourself for you being a retailer at that moment. Okay, what about services? Well, <laughs> generally, no one's going to buy your services at wholesale. That would be well, that would be called an employee. So you've, you've kind of avoided all of that, that, uh, that mess. So when you're doing services, you're doing stuff people are asking you to do. Pretty cut and dry, pretty simple. Some of the pluses is you have endless variety. You could be repairing birdhouses one day, repairing a, a staircase the next day, refinishing kitchen cabinets the next three weeks, so on and so forth. You get to interact with humans. Sometimes whenever you're building products, three weeks straight, you never even see a human except for like family members and uh, the guy at the, the hardware store and the lumber supplier. So you, you get that human interaction. You're always honing skills. You're always learning new things. You're always problem solving. I had a customer in a nearby community call me and she explained that she was a 50-year-old widow and she's lived in this house for 25 years and her kitchen is driving her crazy. 
it's so dark. It's dark cabinets. They're stained. She just, I need new kitchen cabinets. I, I, I just can't stand being here any longer. And so I went out and I took a look at it. And I walked into her kitchen and I noticed the one single bare 60 watt bulb in the ceiling. That was it. That was all the light she had in there. Yeah, I agreed. It is really dark in here. And I suggested that before we get into a major kitchen cabinet job, we fix the lighting. And so we had a four bulb fluorescent fixture put in. And the first time we flipped the switch, her face lit up. She could actually see in her kitchen again. And yeah, the cabinets were dark, but they weren't hideous. They were in good repair. The finish was, was still, you know, perfectly functional. But, and she was just absolutely amazed. I talked myself out of, you know, probably several thousand dollar, you know, kitchen cabinet job, but I solved the lady's problem with yeah, two or three hundred dollar light fixture. So that's the problem solving part of the service that, that I really, really enjoy. You might want to keep your mouth shut and refinish the cabinets for her. Another big plus of providing service is it gets you out of the shop. You can get locked in your shop. It's, it, it might sound grand, you know, now that you're sitting in your cubicle typing away at a computer doing a job that you really don't enjoy anymore. And wow, what if I was just out in my shop? I could spend all day there. That would be so nice. Well, you know, it's just like anything. If you eat enough uh, lobster, it starts to taste like butter. Um, it can get kind of lonely and not fun, you know, being in a shop all day. So it, it's good to get out. <clears throat> Some of the negatives of, of doing service type work is you have to interact with humans. Some interactions are good. Some interactions are not so good. And with experience, you'll start to be able to pick out the, I hate to say it this way, but the good humans from the bad humans. You kind of develop a spidey sense on, on what jobs you want to take and which ones you want to avoid. Another disadvantage is you have to leave your shop. Every time you do something, you have to load up the vehicle with tools. Maybe you get real fancy and get a trailer or a cargo van or something like that that you can totally outfit. That's way cool. And if you're doing that 100% of the time, that is, I think, definitely the way to go so that you're not dragging tools back and forth, you know, from your shop to your vehicle every day. That gets really old, especially as you get older. Another negative is you're always doing something different. You never really get a chance to perfect something. Now, you could specialize in, you know, kitchen refinishing and just that's the only thing that you do. Well, that could get 
kind of boring after a while because there's no variety. It, it, it just kind of depends, you know, what niche you want to, to fill, what you want to do. And honestly, I think one of the biggest challenges in the, in, in the woodworking service is keeping up with demand. You can end up with a, a list. People will ask you, well, just put me on your list. <laughs> that list can get hard to manage. And people calling you three months later saying, where am I on your list? And you've got you've to control this. If you have a problem saying no to work, you're going to have a real problem managing the list. So what about education? It's fun. It gets you out of the shop. It's especially challenging if you jump into something like YouTube or if you decide to write a book. You are definitely going to be challenged. And quite frankly, it's a lot of work. You, in essence, have two jobs. You are a woodworker and a writer, a YouTuber, uh, doing podcasts, teaching every weekend in a different city. It can be a real challenge, but you get to figure out what you want to do, what you like, what you don't like. Oh, um, a quick word about competition. Everyone's worried about competition. This is pretty much a niche industry, you know, a one-person shop, small, medium, large community. Chances are there's not that much competition out there, and if you're selling stuff online, you might actually want to be in the game with a lot of people selling that same item. A lot of competitors means that there's a lot of buyers, and you can make your product a little unique, a little special, and you don't need a 100,000 customers. Depending on what you're doing, you may need 10, you may need 100, you may need 1,000, but you don't need 100,000 people. Maybe you want to be the only one selling this product. That could be real good too, if there is enough people out there willing to buy that product. And if there's not a lot of people making that product, maybe that's because there's there's not a lot of people wanting to buy that product. So that's kind of a two-way street right there. I think one of the best pieces of advice that I got when I was contemplating my jump from the retail industry into uh, woodworking was by, he was actually a, a former uh, a customer of mine at, at the uh, retail store I worked at. We went out for coffee one day. And I'm sitting there having no idea what I'm wanting to do and kind of fretting over this and fretting over that. And he said, look, you don't need that many people, that many customers to make a living doing this. He said, I have about 25 customers that I've worked for for years. If each one of them came through with a project that they've talked to me about, it would take me at least three years to get through all of them. So don't go chasing these great big numbers. You don't need it. You just need 
a dozen, maybe two dozen, and they can keep you busy. And I've found that advice to be incredibly true. And that's when you have to start exercising that most difficult word in the English language, at least for me and, well, many other people, no. And it starts kind of at the back of the throat and you you expel air out while touching your tongue to the roof of your mouth. No, I can't do that job. I'm sorry. I'm not taking on any more work at this time. It's kind of hard to do, but for your own sanity and if you're saying yes to a job that you know you can't get to for a while, you're saying no to a customer that you've already said you're going to do something for. So you've really got to to get a control over that. I know you're probably sitting there in your cubicle thinking, there is no way that can be true. I'm telling you, maybe not tomorrow or next week, but it won't take very long that if you're really good at what you're doing, if you are offering a good quality service at a good price and you're showing up on time. And the most important thing any service professional can do is to clean up after themselves. You could do absolutely the most splendid job at installing a bookcase or fixing a piece of trim But if you leave a mess, your customer is going to remember the mess that you left, not the fantastic work that you did. Just a little, little, little tip there. So, my name is Roger Cookler. This is Working at Woodworking. I'm wishing you all the best, hoping that you are starting to put things together and getting your woodworking business off the ground. And I have to go get a canoe ready for a customer to come by and pick it up. So, happy woodworking.